This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Wyatt Fitner is the owner of Safari Specialty Importers. I apologize for my voice. I think I'm getting sick. But um, I wanted to have Wyatt on here because I wanted to get into a little bit of a very intricate conversation about the regulatory process of how trophies are imported into the United States. And I wanted to specifically talk about lions out of Tanzania because lions, leopards, elephants out of Tanzania, Zimbabwe, and Zambia are typically every year put into the appropriations bill for Fish and Wildlife Service not to be able to issue the permits based on the, the dollar amount. It passed through the House. There's some debate to whether it has got removed out of the Senate version or is still sitting there because of the continuing resolution. Anyway, it's a short, sharp conversation, 30 minutes. I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, why it's a hell of a guy who understands the process of how to bring trophies back after a magnificent adventure from around the world. So, enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name. is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. What'd you just say? Your forte in, in technology and getting animals home is better than getting yeah, a Bluetooth exact, setup? Exactly. I'm, I'm much more at home talking to foreign governments on the computer than I am trying to get the technology to talk to each other. 
So Wyatt Fetner, is it Fetner? Correct. Oh man, I got it right yeah. on the bat, straight up. You know, it's, it, it's it's that shortened uh, version of you know that German pronunciation where they used to have a Z in there. They just left the Z out when my family came over. Just an easier way to pronounce it for everyone here I, I in the guess States, so. I guess, huh? Well, Wyatt Fetner, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I wanted to dive right in, uh, but why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are and um, and what Definitely. you do? I'm sure it's going to be very apparent here very quickly <laughs> why I have you uh, on. I, you know, my name is Wyatt Fetner. I am the uh, owner of Safari Specialty Importers, your personal import specialist and your one-stop shop to be able to get your stuff home from anywhere around the world. Uh, specifically to the United States, but then we get the odd calls of, hey, I've got stuff in the U.S. that needs to go somewhere, or uh, I've got stuff in some country that needs to get to a different country. Can you help out? And I always say that I will at least look into it and give it my best shot for that. Why is it just you, or you have a couple of people who work for you? So the original founder of the company, a gentleman by the name of Robert Corderone, um, he and his wife founded the company back in 2001. And so, you know, the avid hunters themselves ran everything great for a while. And then I met them um, through kind of the standard tradition of meeting safari specialty importers. I had trophies I needed to get home and had used a different and regular customs broker to do so and they screwed something up and so i needed somebody to go solve the problem for me Mm. Uh, so they were able to help me with that with that we became uh you know friends uh over the next couple of years and then robert uh you know reached out to me as i had been pestering him for about a year and a half at that time saying hey you know working in the you know hunting import world sounds a lot more interesting than sitting at my desk job I'm doing currently. And uh, finally, uh, right before uh, 2019, he called me up and said, okay, I need you up here. And we've been hitting the ground running ever since then. And he is, he's in, you're in Franklin, right? I'm in Franklin. No. Yeah, I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, Robert used to live up in New York, and he has seen the light and uh, realized that there's a whole lot, you know, less taxes that get taken out of your paycheck when you live in Tennessee. Mm. So he moved down here uh, and lives in the Knoxville area now. So that's a crazy idea for you to pester him to get into the hunting import business. Like that is a very unique request. You know, and, and what... I found out when I found out one learning the process, you know, after you know doing my first hunt in 2014 and realizing that, hey, there is a whole portion that is not just planning your hunt and going over there and doing that, but now you have to put a team and a plan together to get everything back, and. Um, mm. Most of the times, you know, it is just the hunter themselves who are ultimately responsible for that. They, they have assistance from the outfitter whom they hunted with. They'll have some assistance from the taxidermist there in Africa who is either dipping and packing or mounting their items. But ultimately, uh, you know, it's on them to make sure the export documents are right. Uh, they've met all the requirements that 
U.S. Fish and Wildlife and U.S. Customs require for those documents to come in because the regu a regular customs broker here in the U.S., they only become involved when the shipment has landed in the U.S., is at their facilities, and they're processing paperwork. And so Robert, you know, through his own experiences with that process, saw the need of let us create an organization and a process that takes all of the burden off of the hunter. We handle that and, and coordinate that entire process. And so we know when the stuff arrives in the United States, everything will be a smooth clearing process. And the hunter just has to sit back and figure out where he's going to put all of his stuff when it gets to his house. So are you dealing with it all the way from the taxidermist or the outfitter, essentially? Well, you can't really deal with it from the outfitter in South Africa or Africa, right? Or anywhere in the world. That's, I know we're, we're focusing on Africa today. But right. Really, you're going to be taking it from you guys getting we're, involved. We're involved. We're involved even before the hunter has left the United States. You know, we... Like I said, we're a one-stop shop and, you know, like to be involved with the whole process. So even before the hunter go, you know, leaves the country, we like to be involved in that we're, you know, saying, okay, you're going and hunting in South Africa. Who are you hunting with? Mm -hmm. You're hunting with this outfitter. Who does that outfitter like to use for their dip and pack, you know, their dip and pack? Or mm. do you have a specific taxidermist in Africa that you want to utilize because you've done your research? And so what we mm -hmm. do before the hunter leaves is contact each of those parties, let them know that we are going to be involved on behalf of the hunter. Um, we create trophy tags that go with the hunter that lists every single party that will handle their trophies so that nothing gets lost, gets misplaced. There's no miscommunication even before the hunt. So that way the hunter just goes, has a wonderful time. And then after uh, they get back, we're immediately stepping in, coordinating the collection of pH registers, hunting licenses, making sure it, everything gets to the taxidermist and then monitor the process from there. So, Wyatt, is it a, a fair question, not a question, question, a fair statement, that the import of trophies is a highly regulated process? It is. It is. And each country you know, in, Af in Africa or around the world is going to have a different variation of the process. But in general, to be able to legally export animal hunted, hunting trophies from a country, that country is going to, through their wildlife department, game departments, etc., have a quota um, for each animal that is going to be taken out of that is allowed to take out of that country. Those quotas are generated through uh, scientific research and programs. A lot of times, supported by the hunting outfit, the hunting outfitters working with the game departments uh, to get those to get that information, and then. On the U.S. side, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service has their own standards that have to be met and say as they communicate with those various organizations and government departments in foreign countries to make sure that those quotas are being met, all the documents are being uh, filled out correctly so that when everything arrives in the U.S., it is meeting the U.S. standards for conservation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well. 
how difficult would it be for someone to illegally kill something and bring it into the states? Very, di- you know, to illegally and purposefully do it, I think that would be very difficult because you're going to have to have forged documents from, let you know, let's say, the South Africa side. You're going to have to have forged documents from South Africa stating that, yeah, this animal that you didn't either hunt legally or it's not on your permit um, that you signed there. Uh, are done, and then on the U.S. side, they are monitoring all of those and reviewing Mm -hmm. those documents, so very hard. The problem is, is that if you're intentionally trying to do something illegal, you won't have a lot of success. What we have seen is, and what we call, is hunters run into becoming an unintentional poacher, and that's where Mm. if they went over hunting and they have an animal in their crate that is not listed on their hunting license or pH register in the proper fashion. All of a sudden, Fish and Wildlife looks at that and says, hey, this doesn't line up. What happened here? Right. And then you get, uh, you know, run through, can be run through the legal the legal system, and it's a whole lot of fun, mm-hmm. which that's one mm-hmm. of our main goals is well, to prevent that whole process. Sure, sure. It sounds like there's no real reason to. No, there there is no reason to do to illegally try to both either poach or import animals that you know it's very you know it's ultimately a simple process to legally bring them into uh, the United States and the people who do that or try to do that and, and beat the system uh, you know even if they're successful one time they're going to try it again and they will eventually get caught. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of good mm-hmm. people who are trying to prevent that, both in mm-hmm. law enforcement side of things, but then in the hunting community, in the hunting community as well. Mm-hmm. So the main reason I wanted to have you on, and and we, we there's several topics that we will discuss over time. But the first one was obviously right now there's a lot of discussions around the banning of the import of trophies, which would hit someone like you. Like people wouldn't even think about. You I'd, have like, find, I'd have to go find. I'd have to go find another job because. <laughs> yeah, your 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 sole job is to Correct. import trophies into Correct. into countries. So, yes, people on the ground are affected. Obviously, hunting habitat, uh, hunting habitat, habitat on the ground, the hunting outfitters on the ground, the people on the ground definitely impacted. But it goes all the way through the sort of. The, the chain yeah, of command. The, the whole logistics, sort of chain, whole logistics chain is, effect, is affected with that. And so right now, and I can't remember what the section was. It's either 436 or 439 in the appropriations bill that's currently being discussed at the Senate. Language is still in there. Um, and I think with the continuing resolution, that language remains in there, but they're not going to talk about it. Is the Fish and Wildlife Service not allowed to, they're not allowed to use any of their appropriations to import lion, leopard, and elephants from Tanzania, Zimbabwe, and Zambia? The last, and obviously that was, you know, earlier during the session of Congress, that was in the, the first version of the appropriations bill that actually passed through the House. Um, the, la- the last thing I read and, and saw was that when it reached the Senate through a series of edits, uh, that language had once again been removed 
from removed from it. Mm. So uh, that is a tactic that anti-hunting groups and politicians who agree with them have used multiple times at both the federal and state levels to uh, you know prevent that prevent that because you know the sad thing is is that you know they can't say oh we're gonna there's no support for saying we're going to ban hunting in general so what they try to do and they try to do this in many aspects is make it as hard as possible to either possess or bring in hunting mm-hmm. trophies and mm-hmm. so correct. Or indirectly essentially correct. hitting hunting so let's just for uh for the sake of an example and this is really what i wanted to talk about is if someone wanted to go hunt a mm-hmm. lion in tanzania beautiful country and um it's one of the countries that the antis are trying to stop the import of lions from. White, can you step us through the process of like, what was, what would it take? What does it take? What does it take from the state side, the outfitter side, the, the person hunting it from your side? Just the whole gambit of like what it takes to essentially get a lion trophy back into the United States. Um, Once again, once again, and this is going to be a more in depth, you know, look at the general process um, that we've Mm -hmm. already discussed. But in in essence, a hunter, a hunter books, a hunt books, a lion hunt in Tanzania. That hunt is able to exist because the Tanzanian government and the Tanzanian wildlife department through reviews of their scientific surveys, population data, etc., have issued a quota for different regions and a national quota of how many lions can mm-hmm. be hunted in Tanzania each year. And But why does that mean that that quota that they are issuing, that the country is issuing, so let's just assume the country issues 200 mm-hmm. lion permits, okay? Does that mean all 200, if, if they were going to come, I'll make right. any assumption here, does that mean all 200 can come into the United States? They they legally have the option. They, ha- they legally have the option too. So Tanzania, like many African countries and many, you know, many countries around the world, are members of the CITES of the CITES Treaty. And for those who may not be aware, okay. uh, that CITES is short for the Convention on the International Trade of Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Uh, I really like the fact that they go with the acronym on it because it makes typing it easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Th- what that is, is an international treaty that all members sit and agree, you know, every, every couple of years or so, there will be reviews of each country's wildlife populations to determine the quotas that would be allowed to safely regulate the populations and remove those, remove those animals, which then would allow them to be exported legally from those countries to other countries. The United States, while a member of the CITES, organ- CITES Treaty, also has the Endangered Species Act that you have to go through. Right. And so in regards to the import of lions into the United States, you are not having to necessarily get, get uh, approval from CITES. You are having to get approval through you know, against the Endangered Species Act. Um, and mm-hmm. so what U.S. Fish and Wildlife does is they t- 
take a lot of the information that they receive annually from the game department in Tanzania. And then what we also, you know, as the service that we provide is applying for these import permits on behalf of our clients. We go and take what U.S. Fish and Wildlife calls their operator enhancement questionnaire. And it's a four or five gotcha. page document in which the outfitters are able to say, this is the quota that we have been issued by Tanzania. This is, you know, over the last three years, how many lions uh, or leopards have been taken off, etc. But then it goes into further details of the funds that have been generated by those hunts. Where exactly has that money been used to help assist in anti-poaching efforts, community mm-hmm. upliftment programs, development of the certain hunting, the hunting blocks, etc. And so with all of that information, Fish and Wildlife reviews that and says, yes, based on all of this data, we can say that the hunting of this lion was a positive impact on the conservation and the continuation of a healthy lion population. They would then issue that import permit. I would get that and then coordinate with the folks there in Tanzania to get all the legal paperwork to get the lion here to the U.S. Well, and how rigorous is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service when it comes to that local sort of region-specific data? Because obviously Tanzania at a high level is saying, yes, 200 mm-hmm. lions. Okay, we can take 200 lions. But there could be areas in Tanzania that they're not doing very good from a lion conservation perspective. How, how do the local people, how does the how does Fish and Wildlife Service interpret that local information? Right, and so what, and, and that's where it comes down to, and I think this is a smart move on their part, is that they are wanting to gather this information not just from the Tanzania Wildlife you know, Game Department, but from the actual owners, operators, professional hunters who are in the bush six months mm-hmm. out of the year actually mm-hmm. seeing the animals um, that are around because they can come back and report, you know, they say we have a we have a quota of 10 lions for this area, but there was a bad drought. There haven't been, there's not enough uh, grass to feed uh, the herbivores, and so there aren't as many lions around. This needs to be adjusted, and we're not, you know, while we have the option. Do you see that, though? Do you see that happening coming from the ground? Because almost, if an anti-hunter is right. listening to this, right, or non-hunter is listening to this, they're like, that's dumb. What, Fish and Wildlife Service is asking the people on the ground to justify the, reason. the, the lions, and, and they're all going to say, of course, that everything's, right. everything's fine. Right. Everything's great. We've got yeah. plenty of lions. We can hunt as many lions as we want. But you just said the opposite. Yeah, and and what it comes down what it comes down to, and and I've got to see this per, you know personally firsthand um, when I my dad and I were in Tanzania hunting in to uh, twenty twenty one, is that the you know the opera, you you would think an anti hunter would think a a professional game hunter for, in Tanzania wants to get as many as possible you know possible out there every single year, but truly what right. they want to do is be good stewards of the areas that they manage. And if it's mm-hmm. not good to hunt, you know, take 10 off that year, they're not going to take 10 off because they know if mm-hmm. they do that, that's going to cause a chain effect that eventually five years down the road, 
won't be any lines they can take off of. That's there. a great point. It's a great point. I think everyone forgets about that whole economic asset component of this. Yes. That this is an economic asset, and why would you, why would you yeah, diminish it? it? it, it and, and, and animals and wildlife are a renewable are a renewable resource, and if managed properly, uh, there will be more of them that will you know will live healthy lives than they would just in a hands off wild situation. Um, and you know you don't want to kill you don't want to kill the the golden goose the golden goose by taking too many eggs out of it. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. You don't want to take too many eggs because if you take too many eggs, there won't be any goose or geese exactly. next year. What? Where does the whole like NDF fit into this whole discussion? The non-detrimental findings uh, for determining whether or not lions are on quota. Right. That so that those are fi- those are findings that are done by in Tanzania by the Tanzania Game Depart Game Department, and that's where they have their trained biologists going out there and taking population surveys, readings, etc. And that is through the NDF uh, program that they're generating those national quotas. And those are reviewed uh, every couple every couple of years. I don't remember the exact cycle that they do so, but I do know that while let's say that those are updated every three to five years or so, they are getting yearly and annual information and updates from the owners and operators of those hunting concessions to make sure they can see and track trends that, okay, yeah, we said this much for on quota for, you know, this section, but in three years, we're going to track and say, this area is not producing as many uh, lions or leopards as we expected it to, mm-hmm. or it had in the past. Mm-hmm. We need to back off hunting there and then see what are the other causes that are creating that effect. Does Tanzania allocate their lions? Maybe you don't know the answer to this, but do they, they, they specific different areas get different quotas for lions there, there are, based on that survey? Uh, information? I don't know exactly, but you know, to the best of my knowledge is there are particular, there are particular hunting concessions and areas uh, in Tanzania that are dedicated or that are dedicated hunting areas and so there is minimal uh, human impact mm-hmm. you know you can't go in there and make farms and things like that it's set aside and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. within those areas based on those population surveys they will generate individual quotas for those areas mm-hmm. that NDF is is that that's driven by Fish and Wildlife Service right that NDF is required by Fish and Wildlife Service to just make sure that the boxes are being checked for ESA or for for, for for ESA because according to CITES lions are actually listed as CITES 2 animals which means that they have a high enough global population uh, that the countries that they are being hunted in only have to issue a export CITES permit so there are you know, contrary to anti-hunting beliefs there are a great number of lions out there, um, and especially in the last 30 years, that population has been continuously growing through the efforts mm-hmm. of you know hunting-based hunting-based conservation solutions. Um, and so, as 
So lines are appendix Cor- two. Correct. Is what which you're means saying. that the country of origin has the right to determine their own national their own national quotas and only have to issue an export permit from their country. Whereas a CITES one animal would require the export CITES document from the country of origin and the CITES import permit from wherever the trophy is being sent to, which means, you know, mm. uh, leopards are CITES one animals. So if you want to... S- Elephants correct, are CITES correct. one, right? So if you want to send a an elephant or a, or a leopard from Tanzania to the United States, both Tanzania and the United States through their own review of the CITES, of the CITES agreement have to both agree that, yes, this animal can leave mm-hmm. the country and come into my country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lion permits coming out of Tanzania, if someone hunted a lion, how long is it taking for them to get their permits um, back? Is it has it... gotten a lot better than what it was. Uh, before, co- before COVID, your average CITES permit, um, you know, and when you apply for it, they state that minimum is a three-month, 90-day review period. Uh, before COVID, on average, you would see permits issued anywhere between that three to five month range. And that was... That's the CITES permit, well, not the well, ESA the permit. ES, the ESA permits are done through the same through the same system. So the, on the U.S., on the Fish and Wildlife side, they are essentially equivalent. Um, mm-hmm. So three mm-hmm. to five months was that. Uh, when COVID hit, uh, because of the rules and regulations U.S. government put down on uh, how their staff had to be treated, all that, basically, how only half of their staff could be in the office at that time. So that really drug the process out. And so during 2020 and a lot of 21, we were seeing time permit turnaround times closer to a year. Um, wow. Now that we have gotten Past a lot of that, uh, here in, t- in 2022, I have gotten seven line permits from Tanzania. The average time uh, between me submitting all of the data to Fish and Wildlife Review and getting the permit issued has moved a lot closer to that five-month range. Hmm. And, you know, I like you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think that is because at least the permits that we're submitting on our client's behalf, we make sure all of the information that Fish and Wildlife could ever want or ask about is included in the initial submission. Mm. And then we mm. have developed a, a good relationship with a select team of Fish and Wildlife inspectors and reviewing officers that work specifically on the permits that our company put in. And so I know, you know, it's either one of five, five people who are handling the permit. I can call them up ask them if they need anything and you know that that just polite little southern touch will uh get it pushed through just a little faster sure, of course well it's all about relationships exactly. at the end of the day right well white um so what you're saying is if anybody is interested in hunting lions in tanzania give me a call give me a call hire you. <laughs> call, call um but two, you know, don't be, don't be scared. I, maybe scared's not the right word here. Don't be apprehensive of the whole logistical process, um, and don't be, you know, 
don't hook, line, and sinker the the horror stories of it's taking people a year or two years to get their their trophies uh, back because what you just said yeah. is untrue, and there's people Ex- that are helping. exactly. I think I think the greater the you know the greatest barrier to hunting you know hunting it whether it be local or on an international scale is just lack of knowledge and because of that lack of knowledge that creates a hesitancy and a fear of if i do it wrong i've spent a lot of i've spent a lot of money and i may not get get my stuff back or i may not Mm -hmm. have a good time with that Mm -hmm. i don't want to risk that and Mm -hmm. my goal um both as a hunter personally and you know within my role as you know this as business owner is to remove that fear and hesitancy so people have the confidence to go on these great adventure these great adventures um and, and mm-hmm. you know, don't worry about this stuff that's my job to take care of you and take care of mm-hmm. that for you mm-hmm. well white where can people find you if they're interested and they want Certainly, to learn a little bit more? Uh, they can find us uh, online uh www.safarispecialtyimporters.com um, and we will I will personally be present at the upcoming Dallas Safari Club show um, I'll be floating around on the floor so if you've got you know my my number is on our website you know give me a call I'll come and find you there and then uh, we're excited in February uh, Safari Club International has moved out of Vegas and is coming to Nashville for the first time. No, you'll be able to sleep I know, in your own I don't bed. Have to pay a whole lot for a hotel room. <laughs> there so we go. We'll be, we'll be there. Oh, as I love well. it. Love it. Well, Wyatt, thank you so much for coming on, and and lastly, thank you for being a conservation club member, man. It's um, it's a huge deal to us um, that people like you guys step up and stand shoulder to shoulder with us and say, you know, we believe in what you do and we want to help help you do more of it. So. From the bottom no, of my heart, thank I, you, man. it's it's my privilege, privilege and pleasure. I remember, I think, when y'all first got started off, and and seeing your first video that you posted, kind of laying out mm-hmm. your goal, your goal for Blood Origins, and I sat there and said, "This is a this is a group to watch," and I think they're going to make a big impact, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that we can help you along with that now. Well, I appreciate you, Wyatt. Uh, thank you, my man. Short shot to go. the point. Take care, take care, and uh, like I said, you know, the twenty-three hunting season is, is soon to be upon us. If you want to go have an adventure, Tanzania is a wonderful place to do it. But you know, anywhere and everywhere that you can go outdoors and and experience the it, go do so. Heck yeah! All right, take Cheers, care. Mate. Bye. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.